This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to The Stand with Eamon Dunphy. Last weekend, the G7 nations met in Japan in Hiroshima to discuss various things. There's no question this is a biannual meeting. There's no question, though, that the main subject was Ukraine and the Ukrainian president, Vladimir Zelensky, the remarkably agile and clever president of Ukraine was present and he has been throughout this conflict very persuasive and one of the things he achieved at the weekend was a commitment from Joe Biden that America would also, as the British have agreed to do, train pilots in particular for aircraft that uh, they may give Ukraine very shortly to process the war. It takes time to train the pilots, of course, but Joe Biden went on the record to say that he had an assurance from Zelensky that they would not go across the Russian border. In general, though, there was concern as well at this meeting of the most powerful of Western nations, and this question had to do with how long this war is going to last. Most have committed by saying we are with Ukraine until the very end, or in the phrase, as long as it takes. But there is an American election in 18 months' time, and the two most obvious Republican candidates, Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, and of course Donald Trump, are both very skeptical, in Trump's case, hostile to support for Ukraine. We're joined now by John Campfner, one of Britain's most distinguished journalists, author, uh, and also a broadcaster who knows this uh, region very well. John, this G7 meeting is interesting. It used to be the G8 when Russia was part of the club, but now, uh, would you uh, would you agree with my assessment of Zelensky's political achievements? Yeah, hi there, Eamon. Absolutely. And it's always worth remembering, just taking a step back for a second, where Zelensky came from. And he was elected in Ukraine off the back of a TV series 
in which, as a comedian, he was pretending to be uh, president yes. and making an amusing hash of it. And that those were the, not quite carefree because Russia had already done its 2014 first invasion, but very different times now. And everybody, not just Vladimir Putin, everybody seems to have underestimated this guy. They, For a start, not only was he seen as not serious, but also his ticket for the presidency was, I'm going to be sensible. I'm not going to uh, get up the noses of, of the Kremlin the whole time. I'm going to try to cut a deal. And how everything changed when uh, Putin invaded in February last year. Now, in a CNN town hall interview last week, uh, Donald Trump made it very clear before an, an invited audience by CNN, all of whom were Republicans, most of them Trump supporters, Donald Trump made it very clear that he had no favorite in this conflict. He said he would fix it in 24 hours, one day, he said, and I don't really support Ukraine or Russia, but we all remember his contacts with Putin, his uh, compliments to Putin, who he described as a man he could trust. Ron DeSantis also has been very cool on the idea of America being involved in this in any way. And the fact of the matter appears to be, John, I wonder if you agree. I think Biden has been really magnificent, and yet he has received no credit. His numbers are pretty low at home, and he might go into an election second favorite, as things stand, second favorite in a two-runner field. But he has managed to support Ukraine, to galvanize NATO, and indeed Europe, and to resist. How long would that resistance last if Biden were to lose an election to Donald Trump? The key to answering that question, Eamon, is the fact that everybody on all sides seems to appreciate that the counteroffensive that is going to have to begin at some point pretty soon, if it's yes. going to qualify as spring or summer, is going to be absolutely crucial. Because when we get to the first snows of winter, and with climate change, you never quite know when they take place. That's not a trivial point. It's absolutely crucial to tanks moving and to the old-fashioned process of on-the-ground warfare. And as happened last winter, everything got bogged down and pretty much nothing happened over winter. So whenever they get to that point, October, November, December of this year, that is pretty much going to be it, is the way people think. The, yes. the extent to which the Ukrainians have pushed the Russians back, we're not going to achieve a peace treaty, far from it. Uh, you can't imagine any peace deal that would satisfy or save the face of both Putin and Zelensky. Yes, It just doesn't seem possible. But we will get to some sort of frozen conflict, some sort of truce. How long that lasts? Well, you've got that in Korea, and you've got that in Cyprus, and you've got that in many places. These things can last for a very long time. And they can be shaky, but they can also just about hold. And the reason I say all that, the reason I say we're talking about 2023 and not 2024, yes, is nothing that's happening in the in the, the fields of eastern U and southern Ukraine. 
It's all about the American political process. Because when we get into an election year, and Biden has rightly or wrongly declared that he is going to stand again, and I totally accept your point that he gets very little credit for the great work he has done on Ukraine, although foreign policy rarely uh, wins votes in elections. It's all about bread and butter and economy and that sort of thing. But as soon as we get into that election campaign, Biden on one side versus either Trump, I think it's going to be increasingly Trump, or DeSantis on the other side, uh, who is just a sort of better behaved version of Trump. Uh, Then both the fact of the American elections, the fact that foreign policy, particularly spending money on defense and defending other countries, wins you no votes, It's going to be incredibly difficult for the Americans to take anything forward and for Biden to take anything forward in the course of 2024, in the course of election year. And then if you get into 2025, and if, God forbid, and it seems eminently possible that Trump is re-elected, then all bets will be off. And Trump's political affection and personal affection for Putin, horrific though it is, seems absolutely genuine. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at UH1.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Now, we are in a position where the European Union is allied to the United States, to NATO, and in the scenario you've just sketched out, everything will be decided in November 2024, which is about 18 months away, or slightly less. And at that point, 
John, with America now officially isolationist, then the world, what we call the free world, is arguably in trouble. I just want to read something that Ronald Reagan said. Ronald Reagan is the most popular Republican president uh, of all time. And uh, Joe Biden is fond of saying to uh, people now, this ain't your father's Republican Party. And that's a reference to the way America used to behave. Republicans would have been the party to go, more likely to go and defend the West. But Ronald Reagan said in a visit to 40th anniversary visit to the D-Day uh, battlegrounds, it's better to be here to protect the peace than to take blind shelter across the sea, rushing to respond only after freedom is lost. We've learned that isolationism never was and never will be an acceptable response to tyrannical governments with an expansionist intent. Mm. That, that description would apply not just to Russia, but to China. If this plays out, John, to the theory, it's not original to say it, if this breakthrough for Ukraine in the battlefield doesn't happen, then we're in trouble. And not just because of Ukraine, but because of what the Chinese will see about the resolution of the West. And that's I mean, the, the whole... I think what's really, really interesting when you look at Ukraine is there's one way of looking at it if you're sitting in Dublin, if you're sitting in London, if you're sitting in Berlin, where I currently am, or Paris, or, or any European capital, or related place, Canada, or, or United States, Australia, New Zealand, those sorts of places, Japan. You see the world through particular eyes. But what has been really eye-opening for people generally and for policymakers in the you know, still to use the old-fashioned phrase, the Western world, is how so many people don't see the world in that way. Yes. And the, you know, we see the invasion, and I feel unapologetic about it, we see the invasion of Ukraine as a break of international law, a series of war crimes, crimes against humanity, the attack on a sovereign state, um, the targeting of civilians, blah, blah, blah. You could go down the list of all internationally recognized, UN-recognized norms and say Russia has broken all of these things and therefore any and all form of support for Ukraine in countering that is entirely genuine and entirely right and proper. But then other countries point out, and you could be in India, you could be in South Africa, you could be in so many other places, and you don't have to be particularly warm towards Russia um, to say these things. Well, look at you guys in the West. You're a complete bunch of hypocrites. Um, you know, look at what happened in Iraq. Yes. Uh, you know, look at all the, the rules and the laws you broke. Look at shock and awe and the, and the, the killing of civilians. Um, you invaded a sovereign country and all of that. You know, what right do you have to seek for yourself the moral high ground? And China, and what China is doing, is being very smart on a number of fronts. It absolutely has Russia by the short and curlies. Yes. It absolutely is the dominant partner in this relationship and pretty much can 
it's keeping Russia going and buying its oil and gas, and but very much on its own terms. Secondly, it's tapping into those feelings of resentment towards the West in neutral or non-aligned um, countries. And thirdly, it's seeing all of this in in the wider strategic terms, as it is being seen in the United States and elsewhere, as a bit of a sideshow and the real looming uh, clash of civilizations, to use a, a, a tired old phrase, which is actually quite inaccurate, but is actually quite useful sometimes, the great st- geostrategic yes. um, uh, search for power, power battle between these two is China and the United States. So whoever has most of these other countries is in a stronger position. Now, yeah, and it's very interesting to note that, for example, India, Iran, Brazil, South Africa, and many other African states where Mm. the Chinese have a very strong foothold because of the Belt and Road project. This backdrop seems to suggest that if Putin can hang on for another 18 months, if they, if the Ukrainians fail in their efforts uh, to make a breakthrough to uh, live up to the promises Zelensky has made, then where does it leave the West? That's the question. Because America goes isolationist under Trump presidency. There is, uh, the Democrats have no obvious successor to Joe Biden, which is probably the reason why he will run again and run unopposed. We will be in a very altered world, will we not? Is it alarmist to say that the European Union and even the United Kingdom with its nuclear weapons would be really on the wrong side of history? Well, there's several ways of looking at this. I mean, one is to say that everybody was declaring Western liberal democracy dead, its institutions such as NATO dead, European Union on the ropes, etc. In 2016, the year of the great horrors of Brexit and Trump, yes, uh, Marine Le Pen almost winning in France, and just the world feeling as if um, uh, democracy... It was just a matter of when, not if, when democracy would fail. Then Putin invaded Ukraine, and to a very large, not a complete degree, but to a very large degree, the old West uh, recovered its mojo. And not just in terms of arming Ukraine, but political support, internal com- communication and, and coordination among Western countries. Of course, it's not been, you could you could pick lots of holes to that argument, but nobody even thought it was remotely possible before then. And so there has been a recovery of sorts. What is really interesting is, is this just a sort of temporary recovery, a bit like, you know, to use a somewhat tasteful, sorry, tasteless expression sometimes just before people pass away. They sort of recover a bit, yes, um, in order to sort of you know cheer people up and to sort of say their goodbyes. Are we sort of seeing a sort of temporary recovery of the West before uh, China invades Taiwan? And it's pretty clear the West is not going to do anything about it in terms of military support because it would just be uh, global catastrophe, um, most likely. 
or, you know, and not to mention the arrival of Trump, not to mention the enduring and sort of chameleon type qualities of the far right that hitched on to immigration, hitched on to nationalism, hitched on to the question of the pandemic and being anti-vax yes. and is now back up again on uh, on uh, migration and all kinds of other issues. It never seems to go away. This whole national conservative movement that we're seeing in the UK now, but it's being, uh, you know, which follows on from Trumpism and what happened to the Republicans, uh, what happened in Hungary, what happened in Poland and, and elsewhere. And you can see that beginning in a number of countries. So you could say, yeah, it was all that's happened is that we've delayed the inevitable demise of Western liberal democracy. Yes. But on the other hand, it may not be like that. There are so many internal contradictions in China. Who knows? And literally, apart from the American spooks at the various highest level, nobody knows what is going on with Putin at the moment. Um, now, if he fell, that's obviously a topic for a, a much longer discussion, but what would happen to Russia? Would it disintegrate? Would uh, somebody a bit more reasonable, if not more liberal, uh, certainly a bit more rational, um, take over, or would it get a lot worse? There are just so many imponderables. So I would say that it's all to play for in terms of Western liberal democracy. But one way that is absolutely guaranteed to do itself self-harm is to treat these pivot states and these non-aligned states as sort of people that you lecture. Um, yes. And to be honest, I think very few countries are doing that anymore. You've certainly seen a, a change in all of that. But, you know, reputations proceed and it'll take a long time, really, to win back uh, the confidence of a lot of these countries. But uh, there seems to be, and you've referred to it there, a tide of history or a historical tide on which nationalism is rising. Uh, and you point out, I mean, if you look at the Tory party now and consider some of its leading characters, they are pretty, I mean, Suella Braverman is just a bad example, but a good example. And all of that European research group, uh, Jacob Rees-Mogg, and the prospect of Johnson returning, mm. uh, which is now being actively discussed. Um, well, it's not. It's not, actually. It's not. I, I think that is <laughs> I did being see actively discussed a, by a few kind of... Well, you, you, you used know. to work on Newsnight. Uh, <laughs> I did see the question uh, posed on Newsnight at the end of last week when uh, they were talking about these right-wing Tories and their migration or immigration issues and mm. this swing to the right. But who could... Which of them could win an election? And wouldn't that leave a place for the charismatic election winner, Boris Johnson, who, who won Brexit, who won an 80-seat majority in the last uh, general election in Britain? Uh, so I, I don't want to contradict you, of course, I, and I accept your general principle, but he has been mentioned. I mean, I used to think that it was possible, and I'm not saying that the British public have somehow uh, gathered for themselves a greater sense of reasonableness and rationality uh, that they didn't have before when they elected him in 2019. I think it, the, the public feeling is as fickle as it ever was. 
um, and nor can anybody predict, but of all the imponderables that we have been talking <laughs> about, Eamon, and uh, notwithstanding my continued respect for my old colleagues at Newsnight, I would wager rather a lot of money that, it, that is, he is not going to come back. But, but what is... I mean, if you th if you think through, if, we, if we're just delving into British politics for a couple of minutes, if you think what is the most likely scenario, uh, although there are so many things that could happen in the next 15, 18 months, uh, it is that Starmer and Labour will win, that they won't win, however, um, with a huge majority, if a majority at all, the Tories would regroup under a right-wing stroke far-right alt-right national conservative banner behind somebody, and I don't think it will be Suella Braverman, um, because you know, even by the standard of Tory Looney Tunes, she is a sort of just regarded as, as, as not serious, but they will find someone. And then you could have this sort of resurgent, you know, just this sort of nationalist, populist, um, anti-immigration stuff will will come back. And so it's impossible to predict, except I just think that Johnson the Clown is yeah, dead for more, more book writing and more lucrative uh, tours on the, on the speaker circuit. Now, I would like to ask you about what is perhaps the most worrying of all the things we're talking about, and that is the possibility that the United States of America has changed, is changing rapidly. They find Trump acceptable. About 60% or more of Republican, registered Republicans believe that Joe Biden is not the legitimate president uh, and that he stole the election. In, in mm -hmm. other words, they bought into Donald Trump's lies. Trump has been evidently a, a, a corrupt person and evidently a much more menacing clown than Boris Johnson at the moment. Is something changing in America, do you think, John, that we're seeing the beginning of a trend and that Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis are not aberrations, they are the future? Well, look, I mean, um, the Roman Empire ended, the Ottoman Empire ended, the Ming Dynasty ended, the Holy, Holy Roman Empire ended, all the British Empire ended and political systems, you know, feudalism ended um, largely and um, all systems change. And the United States since the middle, late 19th century and all the way through the 20th century was the dominant power, the dominant the, the lodestar politically, economically, geostrategically, scientifically, culturally in the world, and all things come to an end. Now, is that about to happen? Um, I mean, there's uh, a good reason why uh, an American, if they looked back at Vietnam, if they looked at the shameful withdrawal from Afghanistan, right. if they looked at the Iraq war that George W. Bush railed them into. They have had enough, and they've lost enough, as they say, blood and treasure. It would be entirely understandable, would it not, for Americans to say, we've got our own problems, we've had enough of this adventurism abroad, and many of them are actually saying that. And that poses a threat to the free world. I mean, there have been many instances over time of this sort of America first drawing up the... Um, 
uh, battening down the hatches, drawing up the drawbridge um, tendencies in the United States. One thing I would say um, quite uh, emphatically is that Europe needs to look after itself. And it's always been that case. Yes. I mean, the NATO, uh, NATO countries, NATO members agreed at their Cardiff summit a good 10 years or so that all countries would work towards, quote unquote, 2% of GDP on defense. Very few countries have ever achieved that. And if Notably so, the Germans, uh, and Trump complained about that last time he was in office. The, the Germans yes. are barely over one. They're 1 1.1, 1.2, 1.3. Uh, even with this Titan vendor, this epochal change speech with Schultz, it's going to take a long time for any of this to work through the system. And, you know, the Americans, and it wasn't just Trump. Obama was saying the same. American presidents yes. have been saying the same for a long time. Look, you guys, we are not there to be your nursemaids. Why should we be constantly, you know, you're not poor. You, you know, Western Europe and Europe in general, compared to other countries, you know, they are still among the wealthiest countries in the world. You guys need to look after yourselves. And to a degree, I think that is what, I mean, obviously American munitions for Ukraine are still absolutely the, the dominant contribution. But Europe has learned, I think, that it needs to step up. There's another issue um, which your challenge to me, Eamon, uh, requires me to say, which actually, if you look now around the world, there's all these interesting peace initiatives and diplomatic initiatives that are not coming from the United States, mm -hmm. and they're not particularly even coming from Europe. So it was the Chinese who got the two arch enemies, Iran and Saudi Arabia, together only yes. recently, which was remarkable. The Chinese are doing all kinds of interesting diplomacy. When somebody had to sort out the grain deal between Russia and Ukraine, even at the height of the war, to allow grain to get out to Africa, Asia, Middle East, everywhere, it was the Turks with the United Nations institutions who did that. Yes. So you've got all kinds of really interesting, the Saudis are getting involved now in diplomacy, Indians getting, so you are seeing a much more multi-hydrid approach yes. to international diplomacy, which I think is really good. Okay, John, there's plenty to dwell on there. Thank you very much indeed uh, for joining us. That's John as long Cantor. as you don't have to dwell on Boris Johnson and his children. <laughs> don't, don't bet against it. I still feel that there's another round-the-block run, um, a home run for Boris. But we'll see about that, and maybe, we'll, maybe one day we might get to talk about it. But we're extremely grateful to you for today. We're grateful to John Campner, to you for listening. That's all we have time for now. We'll talk to you soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.